Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Yeah, I know. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Let's get Brexit done. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello and welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the show where we look at the news and the views from one side of the Atlantic from the perspective of the other. I'm Royfield Brown, who's in, hmm, according to my notes here, it says in Birmingham in England, but that would be a lie. I'm in Burlington in Ontario in Canada. Today we are joined by TV pundit Laura Babcock in Hamilton, which is just next door to me. I can literally look out my window and see her backyard and wave. Uh, journalist Emma Burnell in London and by... Uh, the man who only needed, what, three seconds to do his hair, Doug Levy in San Francisco in America. Say hello, folks. Hiya. Good morning. In a week that has seen the Cleveland Browns get embarrassed in Pittsburgh, boy, I had to look away from my screen. Hey, we look at America as it enters its election endgame. We turn now to NBC's chief White House correspondent, Hallie Jackson. Hallie, let's talk about where things stand. The state of the race, 15 days out. Uh, we spend some time talking about the, the race nationally, but we know it's going to come down to a handful of so-called battleground states. What do the latest polls in these battleground states show? Well, let's talk about him, Craig, because you're right, right? Joe Biden has a healthy lead nationally in our latest poll by about 11 points. But of course, that is not how the Electoral College works. What matters are those swing states. So let's look at the so-called big six. They are Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, those sort of upper Midwest states, uh, including Pennsylvania, as well as North Carolina, Florida and Arizona. Joe Biden leads the president in all of them by anywhere from three to nine points. Pennsylvania is really interesting, not just because it's my home state, but it's 20 electoral votes. It's probably, according to experts, the tipping point for either campaign to hit that threshold that they need to win. The president back in 2016 won by less than 1% there. Right now, Joe Biden is actually in the lead by seven points, according to the most recent polling. As you know, though, Craig, the, the message from the Biden camp is don't get complacent even with these leads in battleground states. The message from the Trump campaign when I talked to sources around that campaign is that public sh polls don't show what their internal polls are showing. They actually think this race is tighter than it seems. 
Joe Biden has a comfortable lead in every poll. Americans are voting in record numbers as coronavirus cases are surging. Donald Trump is downplaying the pandemic and criticizing his own health experts. The president only pays $750 in tax. There's a Supreme Court vacancy. The president has been hospitalized. There have been protests for racial justice. Nancy Pelosi and Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin are scrambling to strike a stimulus bill. And 8% of Americans are out of work. So why have the opinion polls hardly moved since July. According to Real Clear Politics, Biden currently boasts an average polling lead of just under, sorry, 9%. And that was 8.6% in July. Doug, you're the American here. Why, with all these things going on, with all these black marks, all these demerits against your president, have the polls fundamentally not moved in the last three months? That's one of the puzzles to folks like me, but I... Oh, no, 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 Doug, Doug, I need hard answers. You are the American. You're our American expert. You stand in place for the 330 million of you. I need a hard answer, Doug. You've got to be clear. Go. A friend of mine who was in Indiana today uh, was telling me that there's solid support for Trump around him. My best sense is that most of the people who are supporting Trump are anti-everything else and his attacks on government scientists and everybody else appeal to them. These are people who feel like they've been attacked all these years by the liberal elite and by the news media. They like somebody who is attacking their enemies. They're not paying attention to what the policies are, which is a good thing because Trump doesn't even have a policy platform. But what he's doing, they love. So, Doug, if I'm some Wall Street banker and I've made more money than God only knows in the last uh, 20 odd years, I hardly feel attacked by the liberal media. I've just I've made a lot of money. You're trying to tell me that all these Wall Street bankers, not one of them is going to vote for Trump. They're all going to vote Democrat. These people haven't been made to feel marginalized by the latte uh, liberal drinking coastal elites, have they? What's interesting is that we actually have had quite a few prominent financial folks, certainly from the private sector, endorsed Biden. One of the major investment banks even did a, an analysis of the jobs plan that Biden's put out and said Biden would probably be better for the economy. Quite a few people are saying just stability would be better for the economy. But it's a combination. You've got the people that just anti everything else. And then you do have the one percenters who just want their wallets fatter. Some of them have come out in favor of Biden. And then there's others who are just greedy and they want more money in their wallet and they don't care about destruction of the environment or anything else. Okay. I, I think the reason why I went to the Wall Street example is because if we look at the polls, Trump has just over 40% of the vote with 42%, 43%, 41%, depending on which poll um, you actually look at. That isn't just um, those people who are wearing MAGA hats and going to Trump rallies. That's a lot of Americans. So the Trump constituency, the, the core Trump base is more than just what you're saying, surely. There are people who believe what he says, and I'm not going to try to explain that too much. I don't know if it's the same 41%. I think there actually has been some shifting. We've had quite a large number of folks who were 
you know, serving in Republican administrations, open supporters of Bush and even Reagan and other conservatives who are saying that getting Trump out of office is the patriotic thing to do. But there's a lot of people who are tired of the pandemic and tired of the fighting, and they just want everything to go back to the way it was. And that's what Trump is promising. Uh, Laura, you come from uh, a country with a proud democratic tradition. Uh, you had an election last year, and you never know, you might have one pretty soon, actually. When's the last time Canadians had to wait 11 hours in a line to vote? We don't, because we're not... Good heavens, how is that possible? <laughs> There's not active voter suppression happening. <laughs> you know? I mean, there, I'm sure there, as most things are uh, come from America, eventually they seep into Canada, and I'm sure there'll be some attempts. And there's always, on some level, a competitive nature, even in a democratic, happy little country like Canada, which we are in many ways. We have other serious issues right now, of course, we, we're dealing with, but I'm uh, being a little facetious. But the, the fact is that we don't have the kind of efforts that we see in the U.S. around voter suppression. Nobody's trying to take the mailboxes off the street. Nobody's told us that it's impossible to vote by mail. We don't have any of that garbage going on. And it is garbage. And so watching, while it's on the one hand, um, kind of buoys the spirit, it's reminiscent of seeing people vote for Mandela for the first time when they had the opportunity to vote in South Africa, those kind of lines. I mean, how is that happening in America? How is it happening in what purports to be this great democracy? You know, as a Canadian, we're parliamentary democracy. We think we've had good democracy for quite a long time. You know, uh, we don't think the U.S. created democracy, but they always purport themselves to be the best at it. And what we are witnessing is, in fact, a collapsing of that system under this pressure of this authoritarian who is willing to do anything to get the advantage. I just want to speak to what Doug was talking about, though. I think we, we forget the appeal of Trump just as an individual. He is entertaining and charismatic, and he makes people feel as though they are powerful when they are with him and when he pretends to be caring about them. And he has always, and I've been saying this since 2015, he has always had an appeal that people who look at it rationally and look at it from a policy lens or look at it from a decency lens don't understand. Uh, I mean, what was he famous for? What was American culture craving at the time? Him. So when I hear this talk about the soul of America and Biden's fight for the soul of America, I got to say, what is the soul of America? Is it the decency represented by Joe Biden? Or is it the stuff that we started to see with the Jerry Springer show 20 years ago? This combative, vicious, partisan, anti-intellectual stuff. I know people up here who love Trump. They love everything about him. They think he's hilarious and he's pushing and they don't really care what his policies are. You know, I have a relative who just likes him because he's a strong man and strong men have better control over their country. Well, and Laura, you're making a really good point because there's a big difference between what Trump says and what he does. It's not hard to figure out why what he says is very appealing. He says he's brought back jobs or bringing back jobs. He says that things are going to be stronger and better. He says he's protecting health care and making sure that people have their you know, pre-existing coverage, uh, conditions covered. None of that is true. He's hurt the factories that he said he would save. He's made the environment bad, which has also hurt jobs and innovation. He has done everything possible to make the healthcare system even more of a mess than it was before, including eliminating coverage for pre-existing conditions. But the people who listen to him don't believe those truths because he's conditioned them to not 
believe the news media and only believe what he says. And what he says sounds great. It's just not real. He's marvelous at propaganda. He is. Emma, um, I believe you wanted to interject. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to speak up a little bit on behalf of voters, um, because I think we have this tendency to, uh, I mean, Trump is very good at propaganda. Uh, There was a lot of propaganda out there that was both driven by him and driven for him. But there are good reasons why people are angry and disaffected. And I don't think that necessarily um, we can blame everything as coming from the top um, and uh, from the uh, from this revolt uh, of the deplorables, as as, as Hillary stupidly once said. Um, there are definite. Uh, there is an alliance between the very very rich fairly amoral people who just want to see their taxes cut and care about little else. Social conservatives who just want to see judges on the Supreme Court who will ban abortion and little else. And they have created an atmosphere in which social resentments and economic resentments can be weaponized easily. But those social resentments and economic resentments exist because nobody has fixed a broken system for a very, very long time, Democrat or Republican. Um, There are reasons for that. Um, Democrats would argue that they're playing on a much harder playing field. And that's all true. But it, it doesn't mean that the people who are on the sharp end of all the compromises that have been made don't have a legitimate grievance how they've aired that, um, some may regret that, some may regret that less. Um, they may still feel that Trump is the only one who is understanding that grievance. I know Biden's done a lot to try and talk to that audience, but he doesn't do it in a grievance understanding way. He does it in the, you know, we're all love, we're all working class way. Um, and that has a strong appeal, and that's probably why he's doing decently in the polls. But... Um, yeah, it still won't reach those people who vote out of anger. And we have a tendency to go, well, Trump promises this policy and that policy, and then yeah, he's not doing the real thing about policy. But policy doesn't matter um, in when it comes to elections nearly as much as people like to think it does. What matters is gut emotion. And with Obama, it was a positive gut emotion of hope. And there wasn't, you know, people going, oh, well, this is definitely what the policy platform would be, other than a certain sense of Obamacare, even though they actually changed what that meant after they got into office. Um, But it was more, uh, oh, yeah, we really want a different type of uh, emotion represented in, in the presidency. And for a lot of people who are angry, for right or wrong reasons, they see that emotion being represented in the presidency of Donald Trump. I've been seeing it read that this is the first election in a long time where people aren't voting with their gut, that actually um, they're actually voting with their head. But I'm still, before you jump in, Laura, I'm still locked on this 42% of Americans because we have the analysis of, of actually what Trump excites within people uh, and and what they project onto him so there's a certain level of charisma there is a certain level of charisma full stop you can't you can't deny that and he is entertaining but this isn't 2016 where you could only project and imagine what a trump presidency would look like we've actually now had four years and with the evidence of our eyes america is a more fractious more 
angry, more dislocated country. So we're not talking about necessarily specifically how well an individual might be doing or not. America's standing by any uh, level has been uh, taken down a notch or five. We have um, a president that even if he's innocent of all of the charges against him, all of these scandals, for some strange reason, they all seem to be flying in his direction. And that is even if you're a Trump supporter, you have to say to yourself that this presidency is atypical. What's happening to America is atypical. There are people who are still voting with their emotions and a lot of what you think should trigger those emotions don't. People who are struggling and quite internal looking are not going to care about America's standing in the world. In fact, they quite like being a bit of a pariah because they've been so fed up of being considered you know, the world's policeman for so long. But, but Emma, these are, the, these are the same people who love seeing images of American troops and fighter jets and the projection of American strength. But they've been at war for 20 years and they're absolutely pig sick of it. What they want to see is kind of images that work for that, but not actually the long grind of the war in Afghanistan that's been going on forever. But there is a great deal of difference between I like seeing troops on TV and that means I like the government or that means I like the Democrats. Uh, that 42%, we are in a hyper-partisan moment. You said it yourself, America is more angry and fractious, but that's both sides. So those both sides are having that emotional trigger to go out and vote. Yeah, I was going to, uh, if I can build on that, I don't agree with the premise that this is an election where people are voting with their minds. I think what we're seeing is people voting with a different gut reaction, which is fear. You know, it might have been in the last election, a frustration with the status quo, a, you know, pig tired of the war, wanting to shake things up. The Molotov cocktail at Washington that uh, was described Trump's candidacy back then. And you know what? Now people are in a different place where they're afraid of the violence on the streets. They're afraid of perhaps having an autocrat have full power. They're afraid of where things are going. So they're maybe crossing over those hyper-partisan lines, some of them at least high-profile ones. I don't think you get people lining up for 12 hours to vote unless there's a heavy emotional incentive there. I don't want us to put them down and think that mega voters are greedy 1% or mega voters who are frustrated. I think that they actually think America is what they want it to be under Trump's presidency. And so I go back to what is America really? Those metrics you cited, Royfield, that the rest of the world looks at and says America's last standing. Well, only if you value those things. If you don't value those things, then people might very much think that Trump has made it better for them. They like Trump's America and what he's making it. And I think that's incentivizing a lot of soft support for Trump that we are not hearing about in the polling. And that's why I'm concerned he might win again people and I have to see people and I know it's risky to do that but you have to do what you have to do you know I'm the president I can't sit in the basement and say let's wait this thing out I'm not gonna do that and now I'm immune they tell me I'm immune I could come down and start kissing everybody I'll kiss every guy man and woman man and woman look at that guy how handsome he is I'll kiss him not not with a lot of enjoyment but that's okay so we're trying to understand uh, the the Trump supporter, and initially 
I said to Doug, this isn't just the disaffected. There's going to be many people who are doing quite well who actually are more scared of the other side. It's one thing I didn't actually say when I answered Doug or uh, took Doug to task with this point. There's going to be many people doing financially well, quite comfortable, living in suburban and rural bits of America who just do not care, all right? And and they do not care um, vis-a-vis um, Trump's, uh, I, we would say, obvious, um, his obvious venality in office and his obvious self-serving policies because they're more scared of the other side. So with that in mind, considering that we're getting in the skin of a Trump supporter, um, at a rally on Monday, Trump attacked Hunter Biden, debate moderators, the Cuomo family, as opposed to outlining a vision for the next four years. So start with you, Doug. You are campaign strategist for for Donald Trump, right? They've given you that much money that you just couldn't turn it down, Doug. What should Trump and the Republicans' closing argument actually be? Well, the number one rule for winning a campaign is to give people something to vote for. And I think that's something that both candidates, honestly, have been somewhat weak on. Biden has put forth some serious policy documents and specifics, for example, on the environment. We have not heard that from Trump. But I do think that where Trump is attracting voters, whether it's a good thing or not, I'll let others decide, he has overtly encouraged the racists to vote for him, whether it's the people who don't want integrated suburbs or folks who don't want equal rights, the people that are mistakenly called militias, the the right-wing extremists. Trump isn't even hiding his support of those individuals. So, Doug, what should you know how many there are? Tell us what that closing argument should be, though. If you want a white America, if you want an America where people who don't have your color, the same color of skin that you've got uh, to have equal standing, equal rights, equal justice, vote for me. I remember when George Wallace ran and that was horrifying and he didn't get very far. I mean, he should not have been cut down by a gunshot, but he was overtly racist. And so is Trump. So we need to take what you've said there and dog whistle it a little. Um, Emma, um, can we do that? Um, If you want America that is white and that people that don't look like you not having equal justice uh, vote for me, can we make that a little bit more palatable so that people who are not attuned to dog whistles can pretend like they don't understand the message and also that we can put this out in the media? Can can we uh, round off some of those uh, um, very rough edges on uh, Doug's campaign message? I that wouldn't be the message I would give. Great. All right. Let's have your message. The racists are already going to vote for Trump. The slightly nervous about their communities changing people are put off by Trump's behavior and erraticness and dog whistling. Um, They don't want to think of themselves as those people. What Donald Trump should be doing is talking to Main Street um, about basic economic issues. I will bring back your factory. I will bring back your high streets. I will make sure that your jobs never change. 
those radical Democrats want to ban your coal mines and your fracking. They want to tax your mom and pop shop and they want to build a whole load of low income housing in your neighbourhoods. Now, that last one is a dog whistle, but it's probably the most successful dog whistle. I think it's even more simple. He's Regeneron man. You know, he took on COVID and beat it and he's going to get a vaccine by the election. So no one worry about the pandemic anymore. Push that aside. That is that constant classic message of the Democrats are going to ruin the economy and I'll make you richer and stronger. And that's what he's been doing. And, you know, that's what he's going to keep doing for the next two weeks. And it's where he pulls the best on economic issues. People believe he's good for the economy for some reason. So basically... It's 2016 all over again. Fundamentally, the message doesn't change. Look at my record. Look at what I've done. Um, okay, things have taken a little bit of a hammer in in the, um, in the last six months, but that's out of my hands, uh, the global pandemic. And those Democrats still want to keep everything locked down when I would open up the economy. Uh, so basically, it's 2016 with a little extra spin uh you kind of tacitly uh mention covid and the fact that america is in a recession but that is not my fault emma uh it's 2016 but with a democratic candidate that for a multitude of reasons some better than others is more palatable to voters so you've got a president with a terrible record that hasn't done a lot of the things he said he'd do combined with a democratic candidate that doesn't that voters aren't recoiling against even if they're not massively enthused by him they, he, he doesn't actively turn them off in the ways that hillary clinton sadly did and let's not forget money i mean joe biden's got one of the biggest war chests at this stage in an election ever uh and that matters right he can do the air war on tv all the way up into the pools. And I don't think Trump's got anywhere near that kind of advantage. And it's America. Money money matters. So I think we got to factor that in for Joe. Uh, Doug, Joe Biden has successfully dodged talking about what his administration would do regarding expanding the Supreme Court. Is this good politics? Has he been disingenuous? Do we all know that um, he's going to put extra justices there, but he just can't say it because he doesn't want to set the hair alight of uh, various uh, Republicans and just moving things on, looking at the generality, to some specifics. I actually think that that's one area where Biden has handled it relatively adeptly. He's kind of been put into a no-win situation, but I think he's right. If he said he would want to expand the number of justices on the Supreme Court, that would be the story about Biden, and that would overshadow what is actually happening, which is the mad rush to confirm not only a very conservative justice, but somebody who has openly declared hostility toward some of the Supreme Court rulings that have been considered settled law for decades. If Biden gave a direct answer, it would fail. I think he probably is genuine when he says, he will see how the Senate handles this confirmation vote. And but Doug, go from there. Right. we know that it's going to be an utter partisan vote on this Senate uh, confirmation vote. And Senate confirmation votes for justices have now just become a rubber stamp, haven't they? In effect, the senators, the senators, well, one second, the senators' questions are longer than the 
prospective justices replies is one of the outcomes going to be of the last three uh, confirmation hearings that basically moving forward these things are going to be less of a spectacle they are just a rubber stamp america is incredibly partisan we aren't looking at senators might question a justice on how they're going to vote but the justices post book know not to answer don't they I believe that this is an area where Biden has more promise to make serious reforms than almost anybody else might be able to, because he was the chair of the Judiciary Committee. He presided over the uh, Anita Hill testimony against uh, Justice Clarence Thomas and recognizes that he kind of blundered with that with the way that was handled. I think Biden is a politician who is willing to admit when he's been wrong. Sometimes it's taken him a long time to realize that, but okay, better late than never. And he does have a truly bipartisan background. So we need to get back to a point when, not just for the Supreme Court, but for all presidential appointees, there is an honest, open vetting of an individual's qualifications, and a vote based on the merits, not just politics. Unfortunately, the current leadership of the Senate has made everything partisan. They haven't even taken up any legislation because it's only again, uh, along party lines. That's got to change. It's not the way the U.S. system was intended to work. Well, I think that uh, I just feel like a young man. I'm so young. I can't believe it. I'm the youngest person. I am a young, vibrant Man, I look at Joe. I don't know about him. I don't know. I would never say anyone's too old, but I know they're all making me look very young, both in terms of age and I think in terms of energy. I think you people know that better than anybody. Yeah. Very obviously, the US election is just dominating all of our airways, regardless of whether we're in Canada, the United Kingdom, let alone the US. Um, so I thought it was only right and proper that basically we just focus on on this uh, this week. And we will do, do another show next week where we'll look at what has happened in the next seven days, because invariably in this crazy um, hyper-fast news cycle, there will be more things which will come up in the next seven days. And then the day after the election, we'll do another show uh, with with, the, uh, with our pundits where we'll look at what the results actually mean. But the last question from me, Trump is three years younger than Biden, but does he have a point that uh, Joe is too old? We know that at least we believe that Joe Biden has tacitly said that if he becomes the president, um, he's only going to be a one-term president. You know, he, he's basically said that. But is Joe Biden actually too old? Because I must admit, in that last debate, he didn't seem that on the ball to me. Um, he doesn't exactly scream vigor. Emma Burnell, uh, what are your thoughts on um, on ageism and old white guys uh, running superpowers? Biden was never my candidate. And one of the concerns I had was that he was, um, he'd be, not that he's too old, but he's been around too long. Um, and he has this really old fashioned view of how the Senate should work. And I just feel the Obama administration's biggest mistake was trying to deal as uh, honestly with a Senate that was never gonna deal honestly with them. Um, this isn't new, Mitch McConnell didn't invent this. Um, you know, this is, 
if you remember the Newt Gingrich stuff in the house back in the day, you know, that this is, it's the same playbook, just taken to 11, um, as Spinal Tap would say. Um, so my concern was partly, I mean, he, you know, I'm more left wing than Joe Bright is, but also because I just feel like his approach to getting things done is a very Jimmy Stewart approach and we're living in the Terminator movies. But I don't think that's an age issue. Bernie Sanders is old and, I mean, I liked Elizabeth Warren. All of these people would have, have completely different approaches. So it, for me, it's not a, an issue of his age. And I, I think all the senility stuff is nonsense. Um, Trump was trying to make him stutter um, and did. And that, you know, that obviously didn't look good on television. But I think Trump's monstering was so monstrous that actually he looked worse on television. Um, Trump is the equivalent of that person in a reality TV show who says to, yeah, I'm just being honest, dear. I'm just, I'm just telling you like it is. And that, uh, uh, and then spews bile. And you're supposed to take it because you're supposed to be grateful for the honesty. And that's Trump's approach to all of his communication is that. And some people love to watch that. That's why those people get on reality TV. But there is a, I, I, I get a sense that we're tiring of it, not just on TV. There just seems to be less, fewer characters. And I watch a lot of reality telly. Um, but also just as a, a sense that those people never win reality TV. They get voted off in about the eighth week after it just wears thin. And I think maybe the Trump Act for, not for everybody, not for that 40% who are hyper-partisan, most of whom would probably just vote Republican, whoever the candidate was, but some of whom are just um, loyal to Trump and the split in the Republican Party is going to be fascinating after this, if if Biden wins. Um, I think enough Americans are getting, and you know, touch wood, we shall see. It may well be that, and I'm absolutely right that we win a vast majority of the popular vote, and I'm absolutely wrong in that the, uh, the various states where it matters get a say. But I just feel like people are getting tired of it. I hope you're right, but I think the fact that we're even having this discussion about Biden's age proves that Trump's manipulation of the media has worked because there's only a couple of years difference between the two of them. And if you look at the actual health of the two people, it's pretty easy to see that one is in much better shape than the other. I mean, Biden is an avid bicyclist and he's out and about and he's being smart about health. Trump doesn't look well, but he's got people thinking that Biden is this doddering old man. It's kind of ridiculous, but that's, you know, we fit into Trump's narrative and that scares me. But he's good at it. I mean, Trump is good at projecting vigor. I made the joke earlier, Regeneron man, whatever that drug cocktail he's got and whatever steroids he's on, he looks energetic and Biden looks healthy and normal and, you know, perfectly capable of doing the job, especially with Kamala on his team. I don't think anyone's really worried that he doesn't have the, the intellectual or mental capacity to do the job. And if he does, Kamala's right there and everybody thinks she's, you know, young and brilliant and can take over in four years anyway. I think it's got to do with the kind of superhero energy that Trump promotes that people love and laugh at. If you watch his rallies, which I, I do, it's, it, it's, you know, it, it's not good for the soul, but it's important for the analysis. And he is up there with the energy of somebody who, you know, is in their thirties. And even when he did that seniors, that uh, weird green screen seniors 
commercial last week, he talked about the fact that, you know, you don't know I'm a senior. Nobody thinks I'm a senior, but I am a senior, but I'm only going to say it just this once because I don't act like a senior. You know, he, he embodies that sense of energy. Now, however he comes at it, wherever it's generated from, uh, it, it is what it is. I do think, though, that Americans are exhausted. I know the rest of the world's exhausted watching all of this chaos and that there might just be some of the vote that says, you know what, I will take a quiet Mr. Rogers-esque president just to get a break. I, one of my favorite things I saw on Twitter one night was somebody in the U.S. said, you know, remember when you could go to bed and read a book instead of just doom scrolling your phone? You know, can we, can we get back to a place where we can have some other things to talk about and to deal with? And so if Biden is Sleepy Joe, well, maybe Sleepy Joe has an appeal right now. But let's not discount. Uh, it's not about age. It's about the energy that they, that they exude. And, and that energy of Trump might just be too much for people to take any more of. Well, again, people are not looking below the surface. Uh, yes, Trump gets to the point where he's able to go on stage and talk for however long and appear fine. But if you look at his function and actions and appearance outside of the rallies, he's very different and doesn't look well. But the rallies are what count. And that's the last point, because we need to go to takeaways. And uh, can I just say, people, um, that we did start off this uh, this uh, recording of Mid-Atlantic with everybody on camera. And I can tell you unequivocally, all of the Mid-Atlantic pundit team look not even well. They look splendid, especially Doug and his new trim self. Emma had wondrous hair and Laura always looks like a fine specimen of a woman. We look great, even if Trump doesn't. Now it's takeaways of the last seven days. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. It's that time, it's that point where, um, let's be honest, some of us scratch our heads and come into this without having a takeaway. Um, but I know one of the team always comes um, with one in his kit bag, so to speak. Doug Levy, you're up first. 
As I think about all the depressing news that we're dealing with, including the impending November 3rd election across the United States, in the middle of the worst public health crisis in a century, I am trying to find the good in with the bad. And as bad as the pandemic has been, one of the good things has been people are discovering new passions and new ways of doing things and learning new skills. I was just reading about a global knitting contest that people are doing from their homes. I know somebody who just completed a marathon that used to be done with, you know, thousands of people running side by side, but you know, it's now being done, you know, you do it on your own and you clock your time and it still feels like something you're doing collectively. More people are reading books. This is a glimmer of good news. And I'm hoping that when we come out of this mess in whatever form, we're going to have a smarter, more connected society. And I'm hopeful for that. Me too. Amen to that, brother. Emma Burnell. Well, I was going to do walking because I went on a walking holiday last week, but you remind me that I've probably already done that. Um, so I'm going to recommend a show that I kind of binged watched recently. And it's so, so good. Uh, and it's called I Hate Susie, um, starring Billy Piper, who most people will know as the assistant to David Tennant's Doctor Who. Um, and she is a former child star um, actress slash singer um, whose career is slightly on the wane. She just got a new contract and there's a, in the first episode, there's a big photo shoot about to happen in her house. And as this unfolds, it also comes out that there are salacious pictures of her released on the internet, re clearly recent ones, i.e. during her marriage. And the other person in the shot, while unidentifiable, is not her husband. And it's a six-part series, and it follows the traumas of her, her husband, her agents, and the various other parties involved. But it's really centred on her. It's an absolute tour de force from Billy Piper, um, who, you know, someone I've never really had strong feelings about before, but I was riveted by her in this. Um, you know, the it, it's uh, if you need uh, if you're the kind of person who needs a it's the new ex, it's the new flea bag, but for sure, um, you know, woman on the edge of a mental breakdown, very female-centered show, very interesting. But I do just want to give a shout out to Daniel Ings, who plays her husband, who's also in one of my favorite Netflix series, which is called Lovesick. Um, and he, uh, Daniel Ings should be in more things. That's all I have to say. Hey, that rhymed. Laura Babcock. I'm going to pick up on something that Doug said about finding the good in this, uh, these sort of duelings cyclones <laughs> that are happening between the pandemic and and just uh, the US and everything else. And that is that uh, the time with my children would never have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic, because like everybody else, we were caught up in extremely busy lives of running all over the place all the time and doing a bunch of things and, you know, having large social circles. And even though we spent time as a family, I've got a 10 year old and an 11 year old. Uh, we didn't have the kind of quality time that we have had since the pandemic. They are remote schooling because I'm home and able to help them with that. And so we're together all day, every day. And I mentioned to my young daughter last night, you know, 
I know you can't see your friends and uh, you know, and I'm all you've got, <laughs> you know, to talk about all these things and watch all these shows with you and do all this, but I'm, I'm eternally grateful for that time. And I, and I think a lot of other parents are as well. Parent, you know, there was a study that said that teenagers actually, um, appreciated their family time more. They were less on social media, uh, you know, and, and so I think that a lot of us are going to look back on this time and say, do you remember those years, those years where we had to be very self-sufficient, where we had to learn new skills, where we had to learn about each other, where we had to learn to live in close quarters um, and to really just brace and, and deal with things as a family. And so I think it's going to enhance familial bonds uh, for generations, I hope. And so I'm very grateful for this time. Mm. 2020 has given us all pause for thought, hasn't it, in, in so many different ways. And um, and being uh, locked down w with our loved ones has been um, has definitely been one of the areas where um, we've, we've deepened, deepened familiar bonds. Um, mine's a little bit slightly all over the place, and, and forgive me because um, hopefully I'll execute a decent landing on this, but but I might not. Um, many moons ago. I remember uh, reading an article by a right-wing thinker whose name I completely forget, uh, who talked about um, the breakup of state apparatus of, of governments and how we should be um, societies all run by associations, uh, voluntary associations where people come at the goodness of their hearts to do to do good things. And I was reminded of this on Saturday because uh, my father-in-law who I'm stopping with in, in Burlington uh, went to uh, the local park and was uh, cleaning up signs um, voluntarily. No one asked him to do it, he was just doing it. So quite simply, Central Park in Burlington, um, there are many trees which have plaques on them. It's something which the Rotary Association have actually done and when somebody passes on a family member, a Rotary member, uh, for 500, 600, 700 Canadian dollars, uh, you can have your name uh, hung on, on a tree, you know, in memoriam. And he noticed some months ago that these plaques were, were falling down and some of them were a little bit worse for wear. So he started taking them down one by one and taking them home, straightening them out and, and rehanging them. No one asked him to do this, but he was doing this. And then somebody spotted him doing this and said, do you have authorization to do this? And he said, no, but I'm just like, you know, just helping the park look nice. And, you know, people have their names on these things and, you know, their family members would want them to look the best. So he was directed to speak to the, uh, the Rotary Club, the local Rotary Club, who then gave him a map, gave him, I don't know, $20, $30 uh, to buy some materials to do this. And it was just a wonderfully civic minded thing which really made me think about civic, active civic mindedness and the fact that our, our elderly population are much more active than they were 20, 30, 50 years ago and they're healthier. So they actually have uh, the energy, let alone the time to be able to actively do civically minded things like this. But then also, what does it say about society going forward. We know that um, in every election, the largest cohort of voters actually are seniors. It's el elderly people who are actually more, much more engaged because they have the time. Um, and we potentially 
have a model for the future with an an active elderly population uh, to be much more engaged physically in in our communities in our societies i just found it utterly fascinating that what uh, my father-in-law was doing was actually incredibly political in in so many ways and could potentially redefine uh, the role of the state civic participation um, and also the, the graying of of the population so i don't know um, really other than it was a very small act which replicated could have massive implications for how we organize our local and regional and national uh, governments um, around um, how we participate in society. That's me. I don't think I've really uh, said anything too much other than it was bloody nice watching him do this, really, in the park. Um, that's me, Emma, because I know you've got to run. Um, how do people catch up with you on social media? Uh, I'm on Twitter at, at Emma Bunnell underscore. Smashing. Same for you, Laura Babcock. Laura Babcock on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. And uh, I just tweeted Emma and Doug on Twitter and Royco. So there you go. <laughs> Uh, Doug Levy, uh, we always leave the best till last, Doug. How do people catch up with you? Find my political comments on Facebook. Just search at Doug Levy News. That, that's us. We do actually have some, some content actually on YouTube, and I keep forgetting to mention this. Um, it's something which I did say to, to Emma some time ago that I was going to do de rigueur, and I haven't. But there are some Mid-Atlantics on, on YouTube, so why don't you go onto YouTube, type in Mid-Atlantic or type in my name, Royfield Brown. Either way, uh, you'll find them and um, you, you, you'll see me in all, with my splendid big afro uh, beaming back at you, interviewing uh, the great, the good and the interesting. That's been us, Mid-Atlantic. Uh, we'll see you all again in approximately uh, seven days uh, time for a, a, another temperature check on America's election health. Uh, this has been me, Royfield Brown, in Burlington, Ontario, saying goodbye. And don't forget, left or centre politics is right politics. Be good to each other. Take care. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Well done, yo three. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.